Hi, it's Rebecca Whitman, your host of the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. I'm a top-rated life coach, an international best-selling author, and a multi-passionate entrepreneur. I'm on a mission to help you go from burned out to balanced, beautiful, and abundant. The experts on this show will help you achieve work-life balance so that you can experience abundance in seven pillars of life, spirituality, health, emotions, romance, mindset, social, and financial life. When you have all seven pillars of life in alignment, you are balanced, beautiful, and abundant. Let's go. Welcome to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. I am your host, Rebecca Whitman, and we are helping you go from burned out to balanced, beautiful, and abundant. Today, we have a very special guest. Her name is Annabelle Quintero, and I met her a couple months ago at a conference in Las Vegas, and I was mesmerized by her story. It's one of the most inspirational stories I've ever heard. I've actually retold it several times. And every time I retell her story, people are like, what? That happened? So I, of course, I wanted her to be on the show. So Annabelle, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Rebecca. So happy to be here with you all. Yes, it's so great to have you on the show. Before you tell your story, I want to just give my audience a little idea of who you are and some of the awesome things that you're doing in the world. So Annabelle's life was irrevocably altered on 9-11 when she narrowly escaped from the 46th floor of the World Trade Center. Her best-selling book, Step, Step, Jump, is dedicated to helping people transform their trauma to triumph. As the founder of the Runa Group, she helps leaders understand how their story can create a diverse work culture. Her executive coaching trains teams on how cultural dominance is perpetrated. Annabelle ran for the Senate. (laughs) It's on the board of a nonprofit called Goodwin Connections. So Annabelle, the story that I want you to retell for my podcast and my Facebook is the amazing story that you told at the conference in Las Vegas, the most powerful women in network marketing. I just was blown away by this story, your resilience, your grit, your internal strength. Tell us about how you escaped 9-11. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for having me again. And Transitions, right? There's always, um, I'm always blown away that I am a best-selling author, that I'm a diversity coach, and that I get to help leaders like you and many others learn how to storytell. Um, but we all have so many stories that we share, and there tends to be one or two that we won't utter one word of. And that was me. Um, I have... Uh, been in silence for about 20 years. And I remember the moment when I was like, okay, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. Um, So it all began, I'd say, living in Seattle. I wanted to model. I was B-girl and I was a break dancer in, in the hip hop culture in Seattle. And I wanted to dance. And my brother had already graduated from Columbia and was working on Wall Street. And I was like, oh, I want to work on Wall Street too. (laughs) So I moved to New York City. I wanted to take a big bite of the Big Apple and I was living my dreams. I mean, here I am, 24, uh, dancing with hip hop royalty, Rocksteady Crew, New York City Breakers. In my first magazine, um, at that time, Urban Gear was really big. So Mecca, I was modeling for Mecca and and FUBU. And and I had this great job at this boutique hedge fund. And I was just learning so much, learning how to read financial statements, learning what a lot of money looked like. That was all changing for me. And it was my responsibility to open up for the portfolio managers. So I had... I was at the office and printing out the portfolio and all of a sudden I just felt something fall on my building. I was like, what was that? 
And I run to the window to go look out and I look out and it's like clear, sunny. Um, There's like nothing wrong. And I was like, okay. And then all of a sudden I feel this rumble and that felt like an earthquake. And we're in New York, like we're not in Cali. There's no earthquakes in New York. And I was like, mm. so I immediately just like grabbed my purse and my, my cardigan and got to the door. And then everything just stopped. The rumbling stopped. And I was like, oh. and I was like, Ay, Dios mio, ¿qué hago? I was like, you know, dear God, what do I do? And when I looked back into the office, all the sunshine had gone away and it was just this muted gray and that feeling that coldness just came over me and i just knew like i i can't be here i you know so <clears throat> let me let me at least get to the bottom of the um let me just get to the bottom floor so as i'm going in the hallway all of a sudden there is now the building is like this and it's like this Herculean effort. I get to the stairwell and then all of a sudden when I open the door, it's like, I can't breathe. Mm -hmm. It's I, there wasn't any smoke, but this invisible stench was just taking over me. And I was like, there's a fire. So then I look and there's like 16 steps before me and I'm like, okay, I need to focus. I need to get out of here. And I put my hand on the railing and I step with my left and I step with my right. And then I jump onto the landing and I step, step, jump. How, much, how <laughs> far was the jump? 10 feet? Yeah, at least because yeah. there were 16 steps. I mean, I wasn't taking that many. I mean, thank God I had ankle boots on. Uh, yeah. Um, because that was all just two steps and then you know, really like landing my whole body on the landing um, and just enough space for me to catch the, the, the railing. Um, the, there wasn't any people until about like, I'd say the 33rd floor. Um, and then there were people along the side and then there was an open space um, on the, near the railing um, where the firefighters were coming up. And, um, you know, while I'm going, you know, so I started passing people because I was like, okay, people would get into a subway every morning, like a bunch of sardines to get to work on time. And that was not happening in the stairwell. I'm like, okay, this is going way too slow Yeah, I need to get out of here. And so I start going down along the left-hand side and then I scoot to the right when like a firefighter is coming up. Right. Um, and then this this lady is like yelling at me and like, Hey, you know, get in line. And I was thinking to myself, like, I need to get to the bottom floor. And she's like, Hey, you gotta follow the rules. And I was just like, my family is probably freaking out. I need to like call my mom, call my dad. And, and she's, she was just so angry and, it was just not my moment to follow the rules or be polite about the situation at all. I was just really like, I got to get out of here. I don't know what's happening. Too many things, right? Something hits the building. I feel an earthquake. There's a fire. I was like, there's too many pieces of this. And we didn't know what was happening in the stairwell. Um, you know, I, during that, that whole trying to get out, I was met with, you know, just seeing hysterical people, um, did see one lady who had was naked she was burned and she had like sweaters wrapped around her um and really like our beloved firefighters um you know just seeing them and and you know them ascending their their stairway to heaven it, it was um you know, I stepped, stepped, jumped down 46 flights of the One World Trade Center and on September 11th and so many different things, right? Like so many different things had happened and, and, to and told me, gave me that sense of like, it's, you got to go, um, keep going. And um, I share this story because I, I feel like, well, we were all collectively impacted if we're old enough, right? It yeah. was something that has imprinted us. And I feel that there's a lot of people that, we're all still healing from it because the healing part never really, we had grief and then it turned to anger. And then we just kind of stayed 
in anger. And now I, I feel like it's kind of rage now in some, in some, you know, like collectively, but also I share it because I feel like we all have this one story where our, you know, we felt so broken and, and so it's like, I like to ask people like, what is your September 11th? Like, what is that for you? Is it like your health? Is it, you know, you being afraid to like share, share who you are and share what you do in your business? Is it like a relationship that, you know, you a terrible divorce, right? It's like a death of a dream. Um, but what is it? Because that is holding you not sharing it with the world or, or you're sharing it with someone that you trust is so holding you back in your life. And I see it when I talk with leaders, it, it's great. It's like storytelling and speaking. I get to work with everyone, right? Like right. the left brain folks, the right brain folks. <laughs> and then, and then as I'm helping them with their story, I realize like, okay, there's a lot more here and they realize it themselves. Like there's so much more that I didn't know from my childhood that is holding me back. And so, um, you know, that's one thing that I hope all the listeners do is really find out what is that, what is that story that you have not wanted to share with anyone and, and how can we get to a point where you're sharing it so that it's not holding you back in your life so you can live abundantly. Well, wow, thank you for sharing that very potent story. I have a couple of questions. When you saw your office turn gray, did it physically turn gray because of smoke or because it was about to burn or it was just in your head it turned gray? Neither. There was no smoke and it wasn't in my head. It was a presence. It was something. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes in the Western world, we don't like to talk about things like that, but, um, yeah, no, it was not, it was not in my head and it was, um, it was a sign. And sometimes we ask for help <laughs> and then we get an answer. And sometimes we're like, well, that came too quick. So I'm going to wait for another answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and things in and intuition and, and things like that just happen so quickly. And so to trust your intuition is also extremely important in life. It was for me and um, I don't second guess it. Yeah. I mean, your intuition saved your life. Now, were there a lot of people yelling at you, hey, get back in line or just that one angry woman? Just that one angry woman. And now she's dead. Well, Mostly, right. Well, I don't know that. We don't know that. I but not. Likely, I hope not. I hope not. But most likely considering what floor was she on? Or do you even remember where, where she was yelling at you? It was it was um, it was around the 30s the high twenties, low thirties. And to me, that lesson is yes. If, if everybody would have jumped down, then it would have been chaos and, you know, nobody could have gotten out, but you, you got out of line, you and, and all our life, especially as women, Hey, get in line, you know, don't, don't be too much. Don't be outrageous. Don't, don't think outside the box because people are going to judge you. People are going to yell at you. People are going to reject you. People are going to abandon you. Wait your turn. <laughs> yeah, wait your turn. Like, you know, be, be quiet, you know, look perfect. All this stuff that we're taught as women. And you went against all that societal programming to, to fight for your life what do you think we can learn from that as entrepreneurs and as women listening to this show? Like how can that, that courage that you, that you drew from help women when they hear society telling them, Hey, wait your turn, stay in line, you know, don't ruffle any feathers. Let's talk about that point of the story. Cause that's an amazing act of courage that you did. I think that having uh, knowing yourself, like you have to spend time to get to know yourself. You have to spend time to be honest with what you really want. And usually what you want in life, um, you tend to focus on what you don't have. Mm -hmm. And, 
And so it's almost like, you know, I, I wanted to know for sure that everything was okay. So I was like, let me just get to the bottom. Let me just get to the ground and then I'll be fine. Because I was also like, I should be at work. Like that was a big no-no for me to leave. And, and so, I mean, the stock market bell was about to open. I mean, there was a lot of people that didn't because the culture is you stay to the stock market, you know, you, you stay and you work. It's New York. I mean, we work long hours there. <laughs> and um, Everybody fled the office when you did. They were actually sitting at their desk working. Well, I was by myself. I was oh. by myself. But even when I had left, even when I was at my doorway, there was another man who was in his doorway of his office and when the rumbling began again, he ran back into his office and the door just slammed in my face and I was there alone. And so I, I don't know what happened to that, to that man. I prayed for him. But um, so there were a lot of people that were thinking of going, but then got afraid because the shaking was, it was unreal. It was like we were, I was being thrown around like a doll, you know, rag doll in the fun house. But I'd say that it's important for us as women and entrepreneurs to um, think about what you are giving and, and who you get to be versus only getting. So the more that you give, I think is also, and the more that you embody is also a way that really helps you in your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. Be a go, be a go giver, not a go getter. Now you said you're getting like thrown around, like it was a fun house. That was as you were jumping down the steps, you were also feeling the, the that was, that was on the 46th floor. Now, when you when you made it to the bottom of the tower, what was happening outside? Um, well, the bottom floor was actually a mall. So we had to walk through the whole mall wow. all the way out this one area because they were like, you can't just leave. There were doors and windows. They're like, you can't go out that way. You have to follow people. And, um, and so we came out of Borders Books and we were on Cortland Street. And the first thing, you know, there was a you know, first responder saying, cross the street and go this way in a very strong way. Because when I had turned, when I turned around and looked up, you know, I saw that there were flames coming out of both sides of my tower and I just couldn't believe it. And, and then I walked along uh, where Trinity Church is, and then um, walked north on Broadway. Did you but, but there were people, there were people walking towards me and I was drenched. I was completely drenched because the sprinklers were on and then the crying. So I was wet. I was completely wet from head to toe. And then I'm crying and I'm trying to go up Broadway and, um, and I didn't understand why people were trying to walk down. I mean, I get it. They were like, they couldn't believe what they were seeing, but I was just like, I got to get out of here. I got to get to the Bronx because that's where I lived at the time. So when you made it to the bottom floor in the mall, was it like gridlock where everybody was trying to get out at the same time or was it? It was a ghost town. There was oh. no one there and there was water. So even there was water from the sprinkler systems. Um, so everyone was walking in water. The sprinkler People- systems were going off in the mall and everybody was walking through water to get out. Yeah. And then you you got out and you saw people walking toward the World Trade Center and you're like, what are you doing? Like, it's on fire. And you're like, you just got on the subway and you went home? No, no. Oh, my goodness. No way. I would never get on the subway. What happened um, when you got out? Like, well, this this really, this... <sighs> She must be, she must have been an angel. She, she redhead lady comes up to me. She has a whole bag of tissue and she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no. And she goes, she goes, can I, can I walk with you? And I was like, okay. And she held my arm and walked with me up Broadway. And she was like, well, do you want to call your parents? The payphone line was like so long. I was like, yes, but I don't want to wait in that line. And then we finally walked up to uh, Broadway and Canal. And 
Um, she was like, well, do you want to get on the subway? I was like, no, I don't want to be underground. And she's like, well, um, uh, she goes, well, do you want to try to get on a bus? I was like, no. So she was helping me get in a cab and the first guy in a cab was completely zoned out, like cold, just like staring. And I was just like, I don't even want to go in a cab with that person. The second person, she, you know, Anthony, he shared a cab with me and, and that's how, um, it took all day, but we were in a cab all day going up Manhattan, but that's how I, I got home to the Bronx. Wow. What a story. Yeah. That sounds like she was an angel, like keeping you from, you know, not having a nervous breakdown. Yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> Thank God for, for people that really care and just show up for you at random times in your life. Yeah. I mean, it makes me kind of think of a tragedy that just happened a couple of weeks ago when the people died and the, um, you know, that submarine that was uh, beneath the, they were looking at the Titanic ruins and the, the submarine exploded. You know, what a, what a terrible feeling to be underwater and trapped, you know? Yeah. And at yeah. the same time, and then having like a whole boat of like hundreds of people trying to escape Africa and then they all drown in the Mediterranean too, just trying to have life. And most of them were children. It was, yeah, it was those, those devastating moments. Um, Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. So it's just a miracle that you survived such a miracle. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about your past. Cause when we met at the event, I told you that I'm like a huge hip hop fan and I've been listening to hip hop. (laughs) Forever. I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I saw the Beastie Boys open for Run DMC and I've seen House of Pain and WA. People look at me. Are they like, what? White <laughs> you? You're into hip hop? I'm like, oh, yeah. So let's talk about that. Um, how has being a break dancer and a creator of an all female hip hop event changed your life? And why has hip hop been so hip hop been so important to you? Oh my goodness. I love this question. Um, well, I think the first thing that was interesting for me was, um, starting, you know, I grew up with the music, but, um, being in Seattle during the nineties and the whole art bar scene was amazing because everyone came there to create. You had the DJs, you had the B boys, B girls, you know, me and Jojo would show up hitting the floor. Um, uh, you have the graffiti artists, we call them writers because they bring their black books and then they're um, doing their art in the book. And, and then, of course, um, you know, the MCs. And uh, so it's a whole, right, there's all these elements to hip hop. And it was the first time I'd say outside of my blood family that people really loved each other. And there was like this sisterly, brotherly love for the arts, but also I'd say because hip hop was born under so much um, strife, you know, it was created in the Bronx from black and Latino kids that were like the forgotten kids when the Bronx had burned down because, you know, they were building the the highway and, um, and, and still they chose to create and they chose to, to go beyond uh, any type of oppression, but there's a shared understanding of, yeah, life is hard and everyone is living that life. So there's like this, also you're, you're creating to, to feel, to be alive, to have joy in your life. And you're also creating because um, it's, it's like a, a statement of here I am. And I am going to be seen and I'm going to be heard no matter what, whether I have the money or not, whether I have political power or not. So it's just, um, I think that's one of the things that I love about hip hop is that we can just show up, be loving, be creative, and also just not do any spiritual bypassing of what's really happening in society, knowing that things are happening and talking about them and, and, and having a way out of it. So that's why I love it. And a dancing was very healing for me. Um, it's very aggressive, like being a B girl, you're like <laughs> in your right? face, yeah. Yeah, in your face, you know, and, and it allowed me at, you know, to express anger 
because mm-hmm. um, I had had other things happen. I had, you know, in the 19, I, at that time, I was, um, someone had trespassed against me and I was unfortunately, um, you know, abused and, you know, working through that allowed me to um, use dance as a way to heal. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times too, it's like, especially as women, we don't have spaces where we can be angry and emote anger. Yes. Yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, unless you take martial arts or something, which I love as well, but so dance allowed me to do that. And I think, um, yeah, it just, there was so many different elements of hip hop that I think saved me in my journey. And which is why, like, I just love it. It's, you know, it's still, um, a big part of my life, a big part of my family's life. Like we're all very, you know, I do mambo to hip hop, uh, workshops. It's like history. And then I do a dance embodiment still. And, you know, a lot of family, they're still writers, still graffiti writers. And yeah, now it changed. Now they're doing exhibits in Venice and, (laughs) and all these places. Right. So the, 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 canvas has changed but um the love of the art is still there what I love about hip-hop is other than a way to express your anger because as a as a young teenager when I discovered it I had no way to express my anger other than through tennis I really love the come as you are because you know we're taught especially in that era look like the women in the magazines like be tall, white, skinny, blonde, like everything you have to just look perfect. Now it's social media, which is what women compare themselves to. What I love about hip hop is it's like, come as you are. Like, it's okay if you're short, fat, gold teeth, you know, grill, like colorful, crazy outfits. Uh, Hair can be any which way, can be straight up, whatever, like, come as you are. And that is very counterculture, especially uh, when we were listening to it in the late eighties, early nineties, that was quite counterculture. And I was like, yeah, like you can look anyway and you can be expressive and you can tell a story. And I really like the storytelling aspect of it too. And now I feel, and I'm sure there's underground hip hop, Uh, But a lot of the hip hop that you hear on the radio, it's just all about sex and it's all about like TNA and it's all, I know it's not the real fancy shoes. And it's like, what? Like it was about storytelling and self-expression. And like you said, like telling people, this is what's really happening. I mean, you might be in the suburbs, like I was in the white suburbs and the house on the hill in Ohio. This is what's happening in the city. And I was like, whoa, that's what's happening in the city. I had no idea. And uh, that's not what's happening now in hip hop. It's just gotten very, at least, like I said, I know there's underground, but the mainstream hip hop is just all about sex and materialism. And it's kind of boring. Compared oh, to yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and I mean, that's the thing is that, um, uh, right, it, it has to be replicated and duplicated and people just want to make money off it. And they're not thinking of the message of how that's not helping our youth. They're not thinking about, um, there's just not a lot of soul in it. Um, Uh, and and they don't let the underground artists be on the radio, right? (laughs) Like they don't allow that. So the social media is the only way for a lot of that great music to come out. But, um, yeah, that's not really hip hop. That's just (laughs) commercial commercialism. And it's sad that though, that people think that that's what it is because it's not, it's crazy. I know. I don't even let my daughters listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) The old stuff, but the new stuff, I mean, even Cardi B, like I love her because she's like one of the Bronx girls that made it because I've met so many girls like her. Right. And I'm like happy that she made it, but I still don't have my daughters listen to her music. (laughs) Totally. And yeah, it's just, it's very uh, shallow. It's fun to dance to and work out to, but it doesn't like sculpt your soul like the original hip hop did. So let's talk about inclusivity. 
Uh, that's one of your major missions is to help people, especially leaders, create more inclusivity in the workplace. Mm-hmm. How can we be more inclusive, both in the workplace and beyond, in your opinion? Wow. Um, I think first is to notice who's not there. I think a lot of times, um, you know, uh, the first thing you have to realize is like, okay, what, what kind of team am I building? Who am I inviting to the table? Who am I not? Who has decision-making power and who does not? Um, because I think many times we, we're humans, we comfort is our thing and we stay comfortable, but having diversity with, and, and I'll talk about racial diversity because that's mostly where I focus on, um, it allows you to have other worldviews, a part of your experience, a part of your, you know, when you're trying to figure out your next campaign or, right? And it gives you perspective on how to look at either the challenge or the opportunity. And so, um, yeah, I'd say that that's the first step. And then it's really being intentional about where are you placing your invitations? Are you, is there any language access? Are you putting your flyer or doing a presentation or have, or teaching someone about your product or service in a community where you, you know, you may not live or you may not know, um, may not be all the time, but at least you're getting yourself out there in a new market. Right. So I think that that'd be the second step is like really, doing something new, getting out of your comfort zone. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's always something where I always say you have to step into your cultural blind spot, meaning like you have to do something new and, and try something new to even approach the whole um, transformation, like in building culture as you're building teams. Do you think race is the elephant in the room? Do you think people should talk about it in the workplace or is it too taboo, too touchy of a subject? And if they should talk about it, how can they talk about it in an affirming way? Well, I think it depends of the, of the makeup, right? So if it's dominant culture. Um, what does that mean, dominant culture? We don't know that on the show. Okay, that means um, if it's mostly people that are European descent, mm-hmm. then that is an important conversation to have. If it's mixed, it's sometimes what ends up happening is uh, Caucasians will expect the professionals of color to kind of teach them. And that's not a healthy relationship, right? Because they shouldn't have to be teaching you about diversity and it gets kind of muddled. So yes, you should definitely talk about it. But also I'd say, I always start with like history. I mean, most of my trainings are all, I'm just teaching basically what was not taught in the K through 12 system. Because even our histories, they call it American ethnic studies and then US history. And it's like, it's the same thing. <laughs> it all happened at the all same happened. time, yeah. it, you know, but they separate it. They, and so ma- a lot of what ends up happening is for us to have a common language, a common understanding of what's even happened in this country. You have to actually talk about what's happened in the past to understand what the residue, right? Why we have these dynamics in society. It's really hard to explain if you don't know history. So I'd say a a good place to start is there is like building that foundation of understanding is really the first place to start. And that's learning our history, which unfortunately, as you know, is being banned. (laughs) And his history, if you break down the word, it's his story and it's it's really teaching us from the perspective of a white male. I like, you know, her story. <laughs> like, let's have some history books written by women oh, and learn yeah. about what happened from the perspective of women. And uh, it doesn't always have to be his story. And that's oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'll teach 
even when like patriarchy, it's like, I do a whole workshop on patriarchy. I talk about Europe, what happened to the European women, the medicine women. There are so many matrilineal societies in Europe. And so many times like women are like, what? I didn't know. <laughs> so it's powerful to, to know that it's not just us history, but it's global history. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Love that you're teaching. You're well. You're teaching her story, so that's yeah, I am <laughs> history teacher. That's one of your many, many uh, income streams. You can say I'm, I'm a her story teacher. <laughs> um. So, what made you decide to? Speaking of your different income streams, what made you decide to be a speaker and a coach? Wow, I think I've been coaching my whole life. I mean, I was a certified holistic health coach. Years ago, um, and people have always trusted me. I, I like to listen to people. I love building rapport. I mean, I love people. So I, I think I've just been this informal coach for so, so many years. And really, when I became a student of on the Lisa Nichols campus, uh, and we were graduating, and they had asked me, would you be willing to share your three-minute story on stage? And it was fall 2019, Newport Beach, California. And can I tell you, like, <laughs> first time I share that I'm a September 11th survivor to, like, hundreds of people. And there were thousands, on, you know, virtually live streamed. And doing that changed, changed. I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to help people share their story. I want to help them, you know, align their life journey with what they're doing now. I, I just, I was like, I want to help them heal. I, um, I want to show them how you can win at life. And I think, and I was like, and I'm going to write that book. And that was what the fall 2019. And I wrote my book during COVID. And what and is your book called? And what? Called, is yeah. Step, step. Jump. How can we find your book? Yeah, um, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it at any independent bookstore. Uh, but yeah, it's Step, Step, Jump, Transforming Trauma to Triumph from the 46th Floor. And, and I think those moments in life where you step out of your comfort zone and then you get to experience how, wow, how <laughs> you're like, I can do this. So sometimes like, go for it, you know, do that thing that just makes you shake, be courageously vulnerable because it gives you an opportunity to, to experience a part of yourself. And then now I'm, I now I'm on stages with like Eric Warren and Tom Billyu and like Lisa Nichols. I'm like, Oh my goodness, <laughs> Marina Warren. I mean, it's amazing. Um, and it's cause I decided, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I, I just went for it. <laughs> you think everybody has a story in them? Oh, absolutely. Are you, and many stories, right? Because sometimes a story is really a moment. Mm -hmm. And it's your ability to drop into that moment where you share what you were thinking, you share what you were feeling, and you share um, like your bodily sensations. And the more you can express from that point perspective, it's like you're taking this little moment and it's just like, it's this huge story. And, you know, a lot of us are seasoned or not, but <laughs> so we can take a lot of those moments and make them these impactful stories that transform people's lives and really transform us. And when you think about it, before we had TV and radio, that's what we did, right? As, as tribal cavemen and cave women, we would gather around the fire at night and everybody would tell the story of their day and the story of their ancestors. And so I feel like storytelling is wired in our DNA. We just need some coaching <laughs> like you to bring it out. But I feel like it's people, people love listening to stories and people love learning from stories and they love telling stories and stories are just so juicy. I love stories. Yeah. Yeah. It is a complete, you're right. Every culture that's an ancient practice 
that we all cultures have done and the best books were all oral tradition for thousands of years and look at the bible that was all oral tradition before even one word was written down that's right yeah so I know you and I have talked about wellness. I'm so happy that you tried my liquid collagen, my fountain of youth that I'm so obsessed with. <laughs> we both share a love of health and wellness. And tell me, what role has health and wellness played in your life and in your journey? Oh, it is everything. It's been everything for me. Um, you know, I grew up, eating real whole foods. My mom cooked, um, every day and food was medicine. Um, I also really knew because, um, I grew up seventh day Adventist and there was a book called back to Eden and back to Eden had a lot of, um, a lot of treatments that now, you know, even the cold plunge, everyone's doing the cold plunge, you know, hot, cold water and all that. Um, <clears throat> alkaline versus acidic. Uh, being aware of food and how it can serve our bodies or how it can make us sick was huge. Um, so wellness has just been a huge part of my life. And um you know, I use natural oils, food grade oils, I, I water. Um, and then also I'd say the wellness of like what's going on within me. Journaling has been a huge part of that. Um, my family didn't really believe in therapy. <laughs> so my therapy was journaling. So writing what was happening in my life, how I was feeling, what was going on in my head. Um, all that allowed me to process and, um, and I have a human triad wellness journal for everyone as well, because I really want everyone to be able to observe themselves and really get to that place where, um, the more we are aware of what we're feeling and what we're thinking, what we're going through, the more we can process and choose how we want to respond and, I feel that most of our challenges come from us reacting and two things you can never take back in life is your time and your words. Hmm. And yeah. so you being able to observe yourself and be, um, you know, discerning and also choosing how you want to respond to people is I think one of the ways that we can not only show, be proud of the way we show up, but we're also contributing to the collective wellness in a positive way. Yeah. One of the things that I really find valuable in my journey is to have a pause button. I used to be very reactive and I used to say I was angry. You know, I would say I'll never throw the first punch, but if some I'm verbally, I'm talking about if somebody verbally punches me, I'll hit back twice as hard. And I used to say zingers that would land people in therapy. Like I was, <laughs> I was vicious. And then the more I evolved on my spiritual journey, I was like, I want to be a stand for love in the world, no matter what. So I got a pause button. When somebody says something that triggers me, I feel the anger and I just pause and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to react in anger. What would love do? What would love say? How would love react and respond to this person? And that pause button has really, really changed my trajectory because like you said, I don't want to contribute more negativity and more anger to the collective. There's already so much of that. I, I want to be a stand for love. So how, how does this journal, uh, triad journal work? Like, why is it called a triad journal and how does it work? Yeah. So I call it a triad journal because, um, after the 11th, I did a 10 day silent, uh, meditation retreat. Um, it's called Vipassana. And there I learned about the three pillars of human behavior, which is the dynamic between your mind, your bodily sensations and your emotions. And those three pillars, they're, they're always working, right? There's always stuff happening. And then we will just react right? And so there I really learned to observe myself. And so the triad is literally 
um, you'll get to, um, once you, you print it out, it's, it, there's a triangle mm-hmm. and start with an emotion. And I put a lot of emotions that I'd say we classify as negative mm-hmm. because when we work through those, sometimes we just compartmentalize our emotions. And I always like to tell people, the more you touch an emotion, the more you work through it, you can have better language around it. You can be emotionally expressive, but you won't be emotionally led. And I think that's the goal. We don't want to make decisions or act and be emotionally led, but we do want to be able to touch emotions and be emotionally expressive. I mean, that's our first language, right? We weren't born with words, but we were, as a baby, we're born with emotions. Like that's what, and we could feel with emotions and we could tell what was happening. And, and so I think it's important that we get back to that. And so that's why it's called a triad. And that's how you can work through it when you, when you write it out as well. I am a huge believer in journaling. It's I, I write in a journal every single morning and it's part of my morning practice. Are you a daily journaler too? Yeah. Well, it depends. I, I journal. Sometimes I pray. Um, you know, I alternate on what's going on in my life. Yeah. Well, I know you have how many kids? Two, a 15 year old and a 13 year old. Times <laughs> when you're a mother and you're a single mother. Yep. <laughs> a lot of time for journaling in the morning. You know? <laughs> <laughs> get in somewhere. So that. That I understand. Well, this has been such a delight. Thank you so much for sharing your powerful story of thank you the for having me, Rebecca. <laughs> I mean, that story. It's like I'll never forget that story. I'm so glad that you took that Lisa Nichols training and that you were empowered to tell your story because you are gonna affect thousands, if not millions of people with your story of getting out of line to save your life, listening to your intuition, not caring what people think. I mean, there's just so many lessons. And I think being intuitive, you knew that it was life or death. If you were not uh, in tune with your intuition or your higher self, you might've just waited in line. You might've just stayed in your office and just said, oh, it's just, it'll pass. It's an earthquake or whatever. And it's like, so journaling, listening to shows like this, doing all the stuff that we talk about on the show, prayer, meditation, yoga, all that stuff. It just makes you more in touch with your intuition. So God forbid, if there's a life and death moment, you can listen to that intuition. So yeah. thank God you had already cultivated a practice where you were in touch with your intuition and I think that part of part of your intuition, or you could call it like psychic ability or whatever, was when everything went gray, you're like, oh my God, I've got to get out of here. Like this, this is crazy. Like I I really think that you had like one foot on either side of the of the veil, so to speak. You could like see death impending, yet you were still in the third dimension. Like that is, that is some deep psychic spiritual ability that you, that it turned gray and that the voice and like in your head is like, go, like you've got to go. So that's, it's such a powerful story and everyone will want to stay in touch with you. They're going to want to get your book. So how can people stay in touch with you? Um, Well, you can go to stepstepjump.com and there you can, the pop-up window, you can get the journal, you can get my book. I have an audio book too. So if you're busy, you can just <laughs> do it that way too. Listen to it, right? Everyone has to drive. Um, but yeah, I think I think the most important thing, like, you know, just for you to really share, um, think about what is your September 11th moment in your own life and know that as you share that, you're going to evolve and it's, you're going to, whatever dream or goal you have, sometimes that one story you don't share is that thing that's holding you back. It's keeping you in plateau. And so I invite you all to, to yes, read my book, you know, do the journaling, but also like, I'd love to work with you and find ways that to tell your story in a way that is compelling and in a way that um, honors you and your life. 
Amazing. Have you gone back to uh, Freedom? It's called Freedom Place uh, to see the monument that they built or no? No. You're like, done. I'm like, you're like, I am so done with that block in the world. Like, it's just probably too, too painful and too much trauma for you to go back there. Yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah, there's just, I look at it differently. Right. I was there and it's a burial site for me. And so I don't know if, if people will honor it the way I would want to honor it. And I don't want to, you know, for me, it's more personal. So uh-uh. if I see something that looks not sacred, then I don't want to be a part of that. So, yeah, I, I understand. Well, everyone, this has been a very powerful episode of the balanced, beautiful and abundant show Annabelle, you are a beautiful soul. You have a beautiful story and you were saved from that terrible tragedy to help so many people that you can't even wrap your mind around it. I just know that. And everybody who is listening, we really appreciate your support. This is a homegrown grassroots show. And (laughs) the way we grow is by sharing this episode. So copy the link, rate it, five-star review, subscribe, share this uh, episode with a friend. I know they're going to be so just blown away and inspired by Annabelle's story the same way I was when I first heard it. And let's just spread the message of step, step, jump. Just do not care what people think. Go for your goals and dreams. Be brave. And let's just spread the word of this podcast that people can go from burned out and overwhelmed to balanced, beautiful, and abundant. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you want to grab a screenshot of you listening, share it in your story. Tag me and Annabelle. We'll be happy to reshare. And until we meet again, keep your vibe high and magnetize. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. I'm your host, Rebecca Whitman, taking you from burned out and overwhelmed to balanced, beautiful, and abundant. I am hosting a weekly women's circle on Tuesdays at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, where you get to experience my coaching for free. It is open and it is amazing for accountability, support, and community. All you have to do is go to the link in bio to reserve your spot, and I can't wait to meet you on a live Zoom call. I also am having an amazing summer promotion called the Five Day Drop. Lose five pounds in five days, guaranteed. It's a great way to detox your body. It's a metabolism reset, and it will help you feel balanced, beautiful, and abundant all summer long. So make sure you go to the link in my bio to learn about the five-day drop. I am so appreciative of you listening to my show. The best compliment you could ever pay me is to rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend because I know you know other people who want to go from burned out and overwhelmed to balanced, beautiful, and abundant. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Bye.